Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Welcome back. We're excited that you're here. We had a great episode last time with Lainey. We've just been enjoying your guys' feedback and all the conversations that have come out of that. So make sure to check out that episode. We have an exciting episode for you today. We are reviewing the album Phoenix by the band Pedro the Lion. We're just excited to see what conversations start after this podcast and even during the podcast. So thanks for checking us out. We're excited to get started and... I'm kind of feeling like we should just jump into it. What do you think, Nate? Let's get it. Let's do it. Welcome to Spammer Jam. This is where we talk about three different radio hits, and we basically tell you whether we like them or we don't. If it's spam, it's pretty much just boring, run-of-the-mill radio music. Or if it's a jam, then it's dope. So, yeah, this is subjective. And what I mean by that is our opinions are final and absolute. Okay, great. So, Andrew, the first song for Spammer Jam is the new track, Oh My Goodness, Sucker, by the Jonas Brothers. Disney music back in the house. Okay, what do you think? I think it's a jam. The song is awesome. I'm glad that there's new Jonas Brothers out, which I'm not sure if I ever would have thought that in my life, that I'd be glad that they're back. But this song just proves that those guys can still write catchy songs. They can still write some jams. And if anything, they've only gotten better over this time. So it's a good song. Music video is pretty cool. The co-write with Ryan Tedder from One Republic for some of the melodies and just overall feel. It's a good song. I think they did a good job with it. I'm assuming you're working on a new album and I'm really interested to know what that new album will sound like. But as far as kind of a first track from that, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So what are your thoughts, Nate? So I'm going to say Jam 2. I used to like the Jonas Brothers, and I think this new song is good. What I think is so interesting about it is it's like the same Jonas Brothers where it's like, hey, like we're good guys. And like they have their wives in there in the video and stuff. And it's like, hey, like we love our wives. Like, but it's also like it's definitely sexualized, which again, I mean, it's their wives like by all means, go for it. But it's funny to see that like progression where they're like still holding on to their like, we're good boys. Look, these are our wives. And yet it's like, hey, we're like, we love sex. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was funny. So the next track is You Say by Lauren Daigle. What are your thoughts on this, Andrew? So I'm going to give this a jam as well. I think it's a really good song. Most of the reason that I'm giving it a jam is her voice. She's got a really, really excellent voice. And I really enjoy it in the song. I think one thing that I do appreciate about the song is that it's it's really positive. It's maybe a little bit more positive than most things on the radio. And it's not this like, you're invincible, you can do anything type of almost fake positive. But it's just like a really, really solid positive song that feels like achievable and just makes you feel better when you're done listening to it. So I really enjoy it. I think it's a good song. What are your thoughts, Nate? 
I'm going to say JM2, just to address uh, what you're saying about positivity. What I think what's something that's interesting about positivity is a lot of the times positivity can be like such BS. And what I mean by that is like you could be in a terrible situation and just thinking positively about it doesn't necessarily help anything. And it's not just about perspective, but it's about like, like, how do I find truth in this? And how do I find what's right? And how do I fix this issue? I'm going to say a jam as well. I think she spits a lot of truth in her lyrics. And it's not just positivity for the sake of positivity, but it's truth about circumstance and hope in the midst of poor circumstances or poor self-worth or doubt and fear. And so I really like it. And like you said, she has an amazing voice. I know some compare her to Adele and I don't necessarily mean, I don't want to make that comparison necessarily, but just the fact that that's a potential comparison, I mean, that's saying a lot. So anyways, the last track is Psycho by Ava Max. Andrew, do we have a clean sweep? We do not have a clean sweep. I both wish that I could have a clean sweep, but not enough to actually give the song a jam. This song is like, whatever. It's not terrible, but it's definitely not good. It's the most like, meh song kind of out there, and... I just, I don't like it. Nothing stuck out to me, and I think the lyrics are weird. I don't know. It's just, it's really weird. Music video is really, really weird. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird song in general, and weird can be good, but in this case, it's just meh and kind of feels like it fell flat. So that's my thoughts. What do you think, Nate? So I would say fam as well, and honestly, I think I can make two comparisons to her it's it feels like she combined lady gaga's voice and music style with taylor swift's lyrics and just like threw them together and it's like i don't think it's a bad song kind of like what you were saying but i also feel like she's just following this formula that's very just kind of cringy when i think about it and cause, especially because Lady Gaga is so unique and to co- you almost have to try to copy her. It's not like you can just accidentally copy her. And then Taylor Swift's whole like, hey, like I'm psycho because that's the only thing that will make you love me persona is like it's scary enough hearing it from Taylor. And I just like don't need to hear it anymore from anybody else. So, yeah, but honestly, this is a pretty good group of songs we had here in the grand scheme of things. Even our spam wasn't that bad. So tell us what you think on our social media and let us know your thoughts. Hello and welcome to Top 3. This is a segment where we just talk about our top three of anything music related. So today's topic is Top 3 Rebound Albums. So we've defined Rebound albums as albums that come after a band put out a bad album. So maybe they put out just a a bad or a subpar album and then they followed it up with a great album. Won us back maybe if we didn't like them from the album before or it's kind of the album that they're known for but it came after a bad album. This is actually a really hard topic because 
most bands that start the trajectory of putting out bad music just continue that trajectory downwards, which is really sad. It really is. It's really hard to find bands that actually, after they put out a bad album, that they go, no, we can do better, and they push themselves, and they write a great album. So we're going to start with Nate. Nate's going to give us his third favorite Rebound album, and we'll go three to one back and forth and give you our list. So Nate, what's your third Rebound album? So this was really hard just creating the list because of what you said on trajectory. So with that, I think two out of my three albums that I'm listing are coming after albums that aren't terrible, but just aren't quite up to snuff. Where my number one is with that actually it was following up a terrible album. Okay, so my third ranked is Hello Hurricane by Switchfoot. And that album came after Oh Gravity. Now, Oh Gravity's, again, not a terrible album. But honestly, when you look over Switchfoot's span of albums during that time, you got The Beautiful Letdown, Nothing Is Sound, Oh Gravity, Hello Hurricane, Vice Versus, and Fading West. And within that run, Oh Gravity is by far the worst in my opinion and by far the least consistent and it has some bangers on it and it has some really great songs but overall it just falls flat in comparison and i think a lot of people view hello hurricane as either switchfoot's best album or one of their top two or three and so to follow up one of their worst with one of their best i think was really impressive what about you andrew what's your third quick before i give my third i will agree with you i think Some of my albums are coming after just, like, not terrible albums, just not as good. I mean, some of them are pretty terrible. But I think in general, they're just, they're coming after an album that I was personally disappointed by, whether it's my expectations or whatever. But my number three is the album Phoenix by the band The Classic Crime. Now, we're actually reviewing Phoenix by Pedro the Lion today. I'm not going to tell you my thoughts on that yet. But the album Phoenix by The Classic Crime, when that came out, it was after the album Vagabonds. They had actually broken up after Vagabonds, and then they came back together for the album Phoenix. And the album Vagabonds had a couple good songs, but as an album was just disappointing compared to what The Classic Crime had done before. But the album Phoenix is one of their best albums. It's great. They're maybe tied for like second best album by them it's really really good and so that was a really really nice rebound album all right nate what's your second favorite rebound album so my second is called nearer my god by the band foxing and so this comes after actually a very beloved album by a lot of fans called dealer by foxing but foxing is a band that thrives in the emotional balances of being very soft and quiet and then becoming very loud and explosive. And they have these really amazing explosive portions, which are found on their debut, The Albatross, and actually on their newest album, Near My God. But Dealer is just quiet and not dynamic. And they're not, they don't provide enough beautiful melodies to make it a incredible quiet album i'm not saying like oh i like their style and they stop doing that style and i'm gonna hate them because of it no like bands change bands say creative liberty whatever i just felt like the songs were not as high of a quality 
for the majority of the songs as the rest of their tracks. Now, there are, again, some songs on Dealer which are amazing and incredible and I love. But overall, the project does not compare as well as Near My God, which is incredible, wicked, explosive. And it's just all over the place. Honestly, the first time I heard it, I was like, what did I just listen to? And it was after kind of giving up on foxing because after the dealer, I was like, you know, I don't expect great things because, Andrew, like you said, I'm anticipating the downward trajectory. And then they come out with an album, which just surprised me. And that was a great experience. So what's your number two? So my number two album is an album called After Laughter by the band Paramore. So this is actually a callback to our Kevin Crowder episode where we talked about our top three most disappointing albums based on expectations. And I had put the album before After Laughter by Paramore. So Paramore had put out a self-titled album at this point, and it was really bad. It was just, yeah, it just lost all the passion that Paramore used to have and felt like a very subpar album at best, I would just say it's plain terrible. And so I was really sad and basically like, okay, I'll probably never listen to Paramore again. And that was really sad because I loved Paramore so much. And then a few years later, they put out this album After Laughter and they changed styles. They went a little bit more poppier maybe, but like a like a throwback pop and it was really cool and Haley's still the lead singer but somehow they just like figured it out and it's a really 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 cool album and I love it all right we're down to number one I'm really excited to see what you have Nate so Nate what is your top rebound album so my top rebound album is air for free by reliant k so collapsible lung was the album before that and that album followed forget and not slow down which is by far reliant k's best album there's no argument to be had it's just by far their best album and collapsible lung is by far their worst album not only did they just create bad songs but also the lyrical content which is so shallow in comparison to the rest of their albums and i thought the band was done and they came back with air for free which honestly has a lot of similarities to forget and not so down but i would say it's forget and not so down combined with the rest of their good discography and their kind of looseness and funness but also they have very serious and deep moments and i just thought they create a lot of good songs and honestly i'm not a huge fan of albums that go a ton of songs and i don't know exactly how many i think there's like 16 songs on this album and the reason why is because it's hard to make 16 good songs and yet for the most part every single song on this album is really good and so it was a great follow-up one of my favorite lion k albums and kind of gives me hope for the future and they've been doing it for a while and i'm just happy to see them continue to kill it what about you andrew what's your number one all right so before i get to my top one i do just want to talk about yours that was actually on my list air for free was on my list as far as rebound albums but the only reason i took it off is because i only listened to collapsible lung once And it was that bad that I didn't go back a second time. But I was like, I don't know that album good enough to know if, like, it truly is terrible. (laughs) And I wanted, like, more time to actually go back to it to, like, I'll give it another shot. Maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was. But obviously it's your number one. So I'm probably correct in saying that it's a terrible album. The song Boomerang is the one redeeming quality of that album everything else trash yeah and so i'm just i wanted to support you in that way saying that you picked a very correct album 
So, my top one is actually Coldplay Viva La Vida. Now, this is probably a little bit of a hot take because what you're inferring or what I'm inferring in this case is that the album before Viva La Vida was not good, and that is the album X and Y. Now, all I have to say is my favorite song of all time is Fix You by Coldplay, and it is on X and Y. But Fix You, as good as that song is, is not good enough to make X and Y a great album. They were coming after A Rush of Blood to the Head. They put out X and Y. And for whatever reason, I just never felt like it had Coldplay's same type of magic to it. It just didn't wow me. It wasn't great. And I realized when I was watching A Head Full of Dreams, their kind of documentary, that they were actually going through just a lot of stuff as a band. And they would kicked out the one guy from their band, kind of their manager, during that time. And they were just like under a lot of pressure to put out another great album because A Rush of Blood to the Head was awesome. And basically what I got from them in their documentary itself was that they don't like X and Y. So that made me feel better as a huge fan of Coldplay dissing this album because I think if Chris Martin was on our podcast right now, he'd agree that that's their weakest overall album. However... Obviously, they they can never not play Fix You. It's that good of a song. So I think the song Fix You actually got them to Viva La Vida. Otherwise, they maybe would have just fallen off and everyone would have hated them. But Viva La Vida is Coldplay's best album. I think most fans would agree. However, there's a couple other albums that are in the running because they're such a good band. But Viva La Vida is just one of the best albums ever like it's incredible so coming after x and y when it just felt like it was a less than album it wasn't great had obviously the greatest song of all time in my opinion on that album but just not a great album viva la vida was insanely good so yeah that's my number one tweet us tell us your top three rebound albums albums that you liked after a terrible album Again, usually it's hard to find, and so if you're making music and you just put out maybe an album that people didn't like as much, please just make a great album so we can add it to our next top three Rebound albums if we ever do this again. We need more bands who maybe sucked for an album to come back and be really good again and not just give up and like, I guess I suck now. So definitely keep making good music out there and tweet us your top three Rebound albums. Welcome to our album listening portion of the podcast. This is our favorite portion and probably why you're here. Today we'll be talking about Page of the Lion's Phoenix. So Page of the Lion was a band uh, started by David Bazan and some other uh, members. They were a Christian rock band a long time ago, started over 20 years ago. They made a bunch of albums and then they broke up around the time that David Bazan lost his faith or he kind of describes it having a divorce with God. And he is very influential in Christian rock and rock in general and music in general. And he's continued to write music ever since Page of the Lion has dismembered and And this is Pedro the Lion's first album in a really long time. 
all the members of Page of the Lion now are different than the original members besides David Bazan himself. And there's lots of themes throughout of all of David Bazan's music about faith and Christianity, but he also touches throughout all of life and is a very influential songwriter. And with the songwriting, I think one thing that's, I don't want to say unique about this album, but David Bazan is a... He seems to be a lyricist first, and his lyrics are always wicked important and always important to highlight. And Andrew will probably touch on some lyrics maybe, and but mostly he'll be in the music portion of things. I'm going to be talking almost exclusively about lyrics as podcasts because they're just so important to what any David Bazan project has. And one little last bit of context, Bazan's past two albums were actually more of electronic feel and synth based. And his album Blanco is one of my favorite albums ever. That's actually the album that got me into David Bazan. So I am late on the train. There's been fans who have been fans of Bazan and Pedro for over 20 years. So please give us grace. This is Andrew's first Bazan album. So we're going to do our best to give context for those who are new to Pedro and Bazan. But to be honest, there's plenty of you out there that know way more than us. So let us know your thoughts and help correct us on things we mess up. And yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, so we're going to get into the first track, which is an intro track called Sunrise. So Andrew, are you ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go, man. So, Andrew, first track, Sunrise. There's a lot to take in here. What are your thoughts? So much to take in. It's a intro track, so it's always hard to talk about an intro track. There's really not much to talk about. The only thing that I'll mention, the synth reminds me of the Interstellar soundtrack. Just some of the synths that it has. I don't know what it is exactly, but it does kind of remind me of that in general. I think what's cool is that kind of the context that you've given of David Bazan with synth. I think it's cool that he's almost starting out just kind of reminding people what music he's been making lately. But as the album goes on, obviously it actually changes significantly into something different. So that's my guess as far as why they're starting with such a synth heavy track, even though, there barely will be any since the rest of the whole album. So, yeah, it's cool. What do you think? So I would think that some would say, what's the point about talking about this intro track? It's kind of pointless. It's wicked quick. And for those people, I'd have to disagree. And the reason why is the first single on the album, which is actually the following track, Yellow Bike, when it first came out, I really liked the song as a whole, but the beginning of it felt like it started out really flat. And I didn't like the beginning of the song that much in comparison to the rest. But after the full length came out and I listened to Sunrise first, there's this really smooth transition from Sunrise to Yellow Bike. And I just think it really helps Yellow Bike take a good first step rather than starting off kind of awkward. So I feel like it's a very important track in that sense. 
So our second track, which I've been talking about, is Yellow Bike. And here's a short clip. But I remember what it was like So, Andrew, Yellow Bike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is a really cool first song. I think, in general, obviously, coming after the synth, it's very raw compared to that. Synths always feel kind of new-agey, new, like, just electronic, whatever. But this just goes back to, like, drums, bass, guitars, vocals. Just, like, very raw, but very smooth at the same time. It's very guitar-driven song, Compared to, I guess in general, this whole album actually will be very guitar-driven. I think the tones of the guitar, they're just really dry guitars, but they sound really, really good. They're really bright and really kind of happy-sounding with that. The song has just a really good kind of flow to it that the drums are just kind of keeping this groove that David Bazan can sing over top of. I think my favorite part of this song, if I had to pick just one part, is there's a drum fill coming out of the bridge into the chorus that just, it's really cool and it's really unique. Definitely wasn't expecting it, especially that late in the song for there to be something just pretty different. And like you almost expect that fill to go into a whole weirdly different section, but it goes back into a section you've already heard. But by the time you're at that section, you're just like, oh man, that was a cool fill It was a cool way of getting here, kind of enjoying the journey. Uh, One thing that I will say, I did write down lyrics, but I knew that Nate was going to cover this. So I really don't want to be doubling up too much. So I'm going to kind of, for the most part, not be talking about the lyrics so Nate can just cover that and he doesn't have to worry about walking around what I have. I might give a thought here and there as far as lyrics, but throughout this whole album, I'm not going to be saying as much through lyrics because I don't want to throw off Nate's vibe. He's got it covered. So I do just really like this song. It kind of feels like he is writing from the instance of being a child and then also being an adult. And it's almost his life that he's summing up a certain characteristic of his life, kind of of independence and wanting to be kind of by himself, but then as an adult missing that like companionship and and wanting to be with people and not wanting to be alone and 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 anything like that so that's kind of what i took from it nate's gonna go much deeper into that so nate what are your thoughts so two things that just came to mind um as you were talking one is so just for people who don't know david bazan writes and records i believe he might not do all the recording but he definitely writes all the instrumental parts for the whole album so that's a cool tidbit i i usually really enjoy albums like that because i think that if you have a great musician they're able to really tie everything together and make everything work well together my second point was so andrew you might be able to speak on this at some point but i heard and i don't understand the nuances of this so bazan when he when they play he actually plays bass so he's lead but he plays bass and i've heard that 
a lot of the bass parts he plays are like melodic lead guitar type of bass lines or i don't even know how to describe it but i mean he plays bass differently on this album than a lot of people usually play bass so i don't i'm not going to get into that because i have no idea what i'm talking about but that's just what i've heard and it sounded interesting so anyways let's get into the lyrics real quick so i think the line that is the crux of this song is i trade my kingdom for someone to ride with and essentially what david's saying is i would leave everything behind if i only had someone to go with me and so clearly bazan loves this idea of freedom and is willing to leave his home and explore what's out there but what he desires even more is this connection and companionship and i feel like loneliness is a huge theme on this album and is something that we'll continue to unpack but an interesting lyric that i've actually noticed a slight connection from bazan's solo stuff on the track oblivion on the album blanco he sings hello again oblivion but it's no good to complain of fatigue and existential pain on a six-week solo drive while your friends work nine to five. And it's this really interesting idea because Bazan's talking about this idea to explore and go out there, but longing to do that with other people and having people he loves with him. And yet in some of his solo stuff and a lot of his solo career, he's actually had to do solo touring alone where he's driving all over the country in a van by himself because that's the most cost-effective and easiest way of doing things. And I feel like in the midst of that there's almost like an irony and you could look back and say oh he felt this way in the past but i still feel like he felt this way even recently which is why the rebirth of page of the lion makes so much sense because he no longer wants to tour alone and travel alone and explore alone he longs for this deep companionship and longs for the other band members and doesn't want to be lonely anymore so our next track is Clean Up, and feel free to listen to this short clip. Andrew, clean up. What are your thoughts? It's a shorter song than I'd hoped. Literally every time I listen to this album, the song ends, and I just wish that there was another minute to it because it's such a cool song. It has a really, like, it might be one of the coolest and, like, tightest songs just in general. It's very concise. Everything is well said between the lyrics. Everything in the music is just really tight but i'm just always sad that it ends so i i think it's just shorter than i'd like it to so david bazan if you're listening just when you're touring and when you come around me just just extend it just for me please that's just me um there's two bands that one band that this entire album has hints of and one band that i think this song specifically does and i'm actually going back to talking about reliant k i think some newer reliant k has some similar guitar work in it. I think Hoops does some similar stuff. Uh, Hoops from Reliant K does some very similar guitar work in newer Reliant K. Also, it is really, really hard for me to hear music that sounds like this where it's guitar-driven, it's got solid drums and solid bass, 
and it's just very raw with like a, a voice that's a slightly deeper voice but has some passion to it, has a little bit of rasp here and there depending when they want it to. It's so hard not to compare that type of music to Foo Fighters. I still think Foo Fighters, just the music that they make sounds very similar to maybe this entire album. However, what I do enjoy is that Pedro the Lion kind of takes that same general idea of maybe just the raw, like rock, just kind of in your face a little bit, and they build some more more depth to it than Foo Fighters does, especially with lyrics. Foo Fighters, their lyrics are fine, but definitely Pedro the Lion, probably the strength of this album is the lyrics over everything. So I'll let Nate talk about the lyrics, but those are some of my thoughts. So this is a very practical song based on themes of, I would say, reality and religion. And Bazan believes, I think looking back, that Christianity was an escape for him. As he sings, I tried eternity and a couple of other drugs. Such a romantic place to hide from taking my lumps. I still get overwhelmed and think about giving up till I remember the gospel of clean up, clean up, clean up, etc. And I think sometimes people abuse forgiveness and use it as an excuse to continue to make careless decisions and ignore those bad decisions' consequences because they know at the end of the day their decisions don't matter if they'll always be forgiven. And I think Bazan is addressing how unhealthy this perspective has been in his own life, and he has seen the need for him to take responsibility for his actions and clean up the messes he has made. And I think this criticism from Bazan is fair, and I think it's been very helpful for me as I've reflected on how I've abused forgiveness in my own life and have not taken responsibility for my own actions. So our next track is Powerful Taboo. Okay, Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's more to unpack lyrically, so again, I'm going to leave that to you. But I think in general, what I really like with this, I like the melody a lot in this song. I think it's a really cool melody. Again, it has a really cool feel to it. The chorus, the melody is really cool and unique, but but probably smaller. I actually like the melody throughout the song a little bit more in the, in the verses and the, and the bridge. Also, the chord structure... In this song, however, throughout the album, there's some really cool chords that are used that would just be out of key. Like, they wouldn't normally be used in a song in a certain key. I'm just trying to kind of make that easier to understand that they kind of throw in a chord that shouldn't work, but it totally does. And it just brings a whole new light, whole new texture to the music in general. And I really like the chord structure in Powerful Taboo. I think it's a really cool really cool song what do you think nate i think some of the main lyrics that are spread throughout the song that do a good job of summarizing the song's overall message are you could light your way with what you're desperately trying to hide deny your senses be a stranger to yourself don't let them take your wits from you and my personal favorite hold it in till your heart turns blue 
Overall, I think what Bazan's saying is that we all have certain feelings or desires that we suppress, but if we followed through on them, they would actually make us happy. And he's kind of arguing, don't overcomplicate these desires, which others might consider temptations. What your body, your mind, and heart are saying are things that they actually want because they are actually what's good for them, and what will help make you happy. And Christianity, which is part of the context he's writing in or against or however you want to view it, often pushes this idea that Christians have a dual nature. There's like the old sinful nature, which is a result of your bad decisions. But once you believe in Jesus, you receive this new nature defined by the fruit of the Spirit, which I'm sure many people have heard, maybe some people haven't, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But even after believing in Jesus, life is a struggle of fighting off the old nature and the old self and relying on Jesus and the new nature. The Bible also says that you can tell someone is a Christian by their fruit, meaning that if someone is actually a believer in Jesus, the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be present in their life. Not because they're doing them themselves, they're being loving, they're being patient, but because the Holy Spirit enables them to do those things. And at the end of the listing of the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says, against such things there is no law. And yet, how much does Christianity seem to be defined by laws? And the church is constantly drawing lines, sometimes considering truths from Scripture, sometimes not, sometimes listening to the Holy Spirit, sometimes not, sometimes trying to love others, sometimes not. But regardless, most churches or Christians create these guidelines of what they believe is okay and what's not okay. And churches fall all over the spectrum when it comes to these guidelines. And figuring out the truth can be tough with all these different voices, whose guidelines are correct, what church or what denomination has the real truth when it comes to these things. One church says it's fine to do something, another church says it's from the devil. And there have been plenty of situations where people have been told they're going to hell for doing things that are perfectly fine in God's eyes. And for many people, rather than Christianity representing a religion of freedom, where you're free to do those fruit of the Spirit, it represents a religion of suppression, where I can't be myself, I can't be who I was created to be or who I feel I am. And I feel like Bazan's main response to this is found in the bridge where he says, I refuse to be that separate from the flesh of my own flesh and the blood of my own blood. And I am assuming that my explanation will be an oversimplification, but I view these lines almost as him promoting a single nature, which I would probably define as human nature. And it seems that Bazan's desire is that humans would do things that are human and their nature exists for a good reason compared to the duality of the old nature and the new nature in Christianity. So if you're still listening, thank you for being patient for that long explanation. Bazan's lyrics are just fascinating and I could go off longer and I'd probably get further away from the truth, which is why I <laughs> try and <laughs> shorten it up. Okay, anyways, next track is Model Homes. Okay, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Model Homes? Yeah, I think the bass guitar, I'm going to talk about that in this song. I do think the bass guitar is my favorite part of this song. In general, it has just a really cool groove. The drum work is really great with this, and I think the bass plays off of what the drums are really well. 
and it does slip in and out of kind of having some melodic elements. This was the first song that I noticed that, and so it's the first time that I'd written that down. But throughout the album, the bass is more forward than a bass normally is usually. Bass is just kind of keeping down simple chord changes. There's not much to it. But there's more bass walk-ups, walk-downs, runs, or just following the melody than would normally happen. Bass is one of the hardest instruments to sing and play at the same time. Usually because of the oversimplification of playing just a straight bass while you're doing so much more singing and trying to be a front man or whatever else you have to do up at the front. And so I actually think he's writing bass parts with the intention and the expectation of being able to play them and also be able to be a good front man, be able to kind of lead the band the way that he would have to through touring. So I think there's just a different way that a lead singer who plays bass writes bass than just a bass player in a band. And so there is something really cool about that. I'll leave the lyrics to you, Nate. What were your thoughts on Model Homes? So this was the second single release, and this song is one of the most obvious references to loneliness on the album. Bazan sings in the first verse, We lobbied hard to look at tracked homes, open houses, instead of quiet time in my room, where Sunday afternoon felt like a tomb. And in the second verse, he sings, I want to live with someone else, give them my whole self. I want to not be lonely. And it feels like this overall sentiment of the song is Bazan saying or crying out while my parents are looking for a better house thinking that will make us happy or them happy all i want is to not be lonely and i think the outro is interesting where he sings when will the wait be over it is simultaneously the cry of his own heart and his parents but the way the song is written it seems like bazan's answer to that question will only come when he leaves his family because their priorities and his desires are different His parents long for different circumstances with his home, and he desires relationship. And until they can realize that providing a home or a different home won't make things better, I don't think he'll ever fix things or feel like the wait is over until he leaves. So our next song is Piano Bench. really like the song it's almost like an interlude it's it's very short very concise once again but i do think it's meant almost as more of an interlude i like how it works coming out of model homes and then we'll talk about kind of how it goes into circle k i just feel like it fits the album really well there's it's basically just I'm going to oversimplify here, but it's just him referencing a time remembering sitting on a piano bench at church with his parents and just kind of that childhood memory. And I think the entire song musically kind of it's it's alluding to the intro before like kind of the guitar chords come in that there is some some synth at the beginning of this and just kind of remembering where he's at now, but also Again, looking back at his childhood a lot, I think it's a really cool song. What do you think, Nate? 
So the song always brings me back to going to my mom's choir practice when I was young. And she was the choir director and the worship director at our church. And I remember listening to them vividly. Like I remember being there and it's one of my vivid memories of being really young. And though it's not this specific moment of being at choir practice or whatever that has inspired me to love music, I do believe that my mom's passion for music has rubbed off on me, similarly to how Bazan feels his parents' love for music has rubbed off on him. So I just find it interesting and can kind of make a small comparison. Fortunately for Bazan, it inspired him to actually make music and make awesome music for me i just talked about it which is way less okay so next we have circle k Okay, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Circle K? Well, first of all, I didn't know what Circle K was, and I kind of had to Google it. (laughs) And it is a gas station, for those of you listening to the song and not sure about that. It's not the only time he'll talk about Circle K. That's some foreshadowing that I'm going to give. But it's basically just him. It's, to me, a very sad and emotional song, and it's just basically him trying to save money and then spending it. And yeah, just kind of him sad looking back at that. The one thing that I love with this album, it's a concept album. If you haven't noticed it yet, I think it's a concept album. Very much looks back at at a season of his life, his childhood in general, maybe just making his entire childhood one album. Although I know he talks about his childhood in all of his work, but I do think that this album is a concept album. And so what you sometimes get with concept albums is callbacks to other songs. And so in this song, there is a callback to him on his yellow bike, which once I heard that, I was like, ooh, that's cool, and kind of made me want to dive into the lyrics, which are well worth doing, as Nate is kind of helping us do here. I think the guitar work is really cool. There's some tremolo and reverbs on the guitar, and both the tremolo and the reverb separately and then together are really cool on the guitars. It's just some cool cool guitar effects that I think kind of fit this song really well. So Nate, you want to dive more into the lyrics? Yeah, sure. So to sum up the lyrics, again, uh, like Andrew said, Bazan wanted to save up for a skateboard, but sent all his money at Circle K. And the line that's most interesting to me is, and the good Lord smiled and looked the other way. And speaking of references, not only does he make a reference to Yellow Bike, but he also makes a reference to the song Bad Things to Such Good People, which is on Page of the Lion's album Winners Never Quit. So feel free to go back and listen to that song and figure out what you think the comparison is or the context is. I think the line essentially means God gives us things he knows we'll misuse and he gives us opportunities to make decisions he know we'll regret. And when he makes poor decisions, it's almost like he laughs and says, I told you so and turns his back on us, though he was the one who created the environment where this was an inevitability rather than enabling us to succeed and do what's right. And so I think that's my best attempt at capturing his overall sentiment in this song. So our next track is Quietest Friend.
Andrew, please tell me your thoughts. I think what's funny is that it is a more upbeat song. And so it's an upbeat song talking about his quietest friend. I just think that's an interesting choice because you'd assume a song called Quietest Friend and actually with the lyrics in the song that it would actually be maybe more sad and reflective and quiet. It's actually interesting that it is an upbeat song. I think it talks a lot about life lessons that he's learned, talks about kind of getting pressured into bullying someone and Nate can dive more into that. But I think just in general, this song between the music and the words, it has a really cool way of kind of pulling you into an entire story. Like throughout the album, each song is like a different story. But I think just musically, this song feels like it's telling the story along with the lyrics really well. And I really appreciate that. So, Nate, what were your thoughts with this? So again, like Andrew said, Bazan is recounting how he made fun of a friend because of peer pressure. And he seems to refer to this person as his quietest friend. And he says, I ignored you for 30 years, probably because of guilt, shame, and maybe fear of talking to him again. And the song seems based out of a conversation that he had with him 30 years later. That's my guess. And in the bridge, Bazan finds himself open to hearing his quietest friend and letting everyone know about his mistakes and regrets and wants them to hear his quietest friend. And so he sings, We could write me some reminders. I'd memorize them. I could sing them to myself and who's ever listening. I could put them on a record about my hometown. Sitting here with pen and paper, I'm listening now. What's interesting is we don't get an actual quote or answer or response from the friend, which kind of stands true to this whole idea that Bazan is referring to him as his quietest friend. But his quietest friend, what he seems to be saying in my mind potentially is all is forgiven. Let's not dwell on the past. I have nothing bad to say about you on your album. I don't want to trash you. I don't want revenge. And my conclusion is that idea, or maybe it could be when Bazan says, I'm listening now, his whole point is saying, by ignoring you, I have never let you speak, and I have almost forced you to remain quiet, and so now I'm actually finally giving you the chance to speak when I should have given you that chance all along to speak your piece, let me know your thoughts, how you're feeling, and maybe vent your frustration, like tear me a new one, whatever. And so the lack of response is more supposed to be focused on Bazan's overall attitude of giving space for his friend to speak. I think it's probably one of those two ideas, yet I could be totally wrong and I would not be surprised. Okay, next track is Tracing the Grid. thoughts on chasing the grid yeah i'm gonna talk about the bass again i think the bass in this song is really cool it just does some really cool stuff again i I don't i can't specify everything that it does in the song just listen to it. it it's just really cool that it fits so well in the song there's just a lot of movement but it fits the song perfectly his melody again i think in this song the two things that stand out to me are the bass guitar and his melody i think it's really cool 
Also, another thing that I haven't mentioned through this album yet is just that part of this concept album, as we're kind of talking through the lyrics, as you can kind of see a lot of these things, it's almost like a love letter to Phoenix, too. And I think that's what's really cool about this is there's a lot of situations. Obviously, it all takes place in Phoenix, Arizona, and from what I can tell. And he does talk about that later, too. But just as you can kind of see, Tracing the Grid and and some of the songs talking about being home and kind of remembering old stories and, and times with that, I think there's just... There's a huge part of his heart, I think, that's, like, in Phoenix always. And I think this this album and this song in general, you get a good feel for that. So, yeah. What are your thoughts, Nate? So rather than diving into any lyrics specifically, I think this song kind of provides context for the overall album, which you definitely touched on. And for those who didn't know, this album was kind of created both unintentionally and intentionally. So Bazan stopped in Phoenix on a tour uh, to like visit family, I believe. And he basically stayed there for a decent amount of time. And he would wake up early in the morning for the sunrise and drive around the streets where he rode his yellow bike. And he would, after dinner, drive around sunset. And he'd let all these memories flow back. And he realized that he never had closure leaving Phoenix with his family and was never actually able to deal with or process his time there or the hurt he had from leaving. And so this whole album is kind of this process of him back in Phoenix, like reliving these moments and actually facing them and trying to get closure. And through it, like Andrew said, he develops almost like this love for Phoenix, this new love which has resurfaced and is reborn, which again, we'll kind of get into that type of imagery later. So the next track is Black Canyon. Awesome Black Canyon. This song does so much. I think this is actually the most dense song on the album to me, both lyrically and musically. So I am gonna touch a little bit lyrically here, just just painting the broad picture. It is kind of him reminiscing about a story about a man's suicide, and most likely told to him by his uncle, who was kind of the first on the scene, uh, was a paramedic on the scene, and. He does actually have a callback to clean up in this. I would assume that was intentional. There's a callback to that song as well. And I think it's just talking about different people's reactions to life in general and to the suicide. The one person in this story jokes about it and the other person kind of takes it as a way to realize how life is so precious and not to be so kind of careless about life in general, but that life is really precious. And I think my favorite thing about this lyrically is how he ends it. He ends lyrically just encouraging the listener to basically talk about their problems, seek help, make sure that 
you're actually voicing any issues that you have or anything and being vocal about the problems that you're going through with the people around you and with with professionals. So I think that's really cool just lyrically. And with that, I think musically, the song's cool because for the most part it has a similar kind of vibe that it has. However, there's two sections in the song, maybe three, that it's kind of the thought or the words of these different people, the person who joked about the suicide or the person that then kind of thought about their own life. Those sections of the song has just a whole different sound to it when they get to those sections. I think it's cool because it's almost like these are thoughts or or maybe even words, but but he's giving those characters emotion and just highlighting the lyrics with how the music changes so vastly. And then at the end, again, it's kind of his passionate rant to to talk about your problems and, and seek help. I think that's it's really cool how the music flows with the lyrics. Again, super dense. There's a lot to unpack here. So, Nate, you want to keep unpacking this song for us? Yeah, sure. So you brought up a lot of great points and have made it so I don't need to talk as much, which I really appreciate. So I'm going to focus on one portion where there's that whole female fire engine driver. And I feel like through the lyrics, you realize she feels this weight that she can never be enough based off the comparisons by her male counterparts because she's a woman. And she knew she could never do enough to get that truck of comparison and judgment off her back, which is, again, how we get into the second chorus. And there is this parallel between the man who committed suicide and the woman firefighter, where neither could remove this giant burden off their back. And their tragedy and stories were actually both just like a joke to everyone else, which, again, you pointed out how Ray's partner said a joke about the guy who committed suicide, and then the way she's treated, she's treated as a joke as well. And I'm just going to echo what you said about what Bazan says at the end, um, because it's so important. I think it's almost like a pastoral (laughs) approach he has, where I just thought of this now. This might be the first time on the album where he gives like a direct address to the listener. And I could be totally wrong off that. But he says, tell them your stories. If you carry them by yourself, the gorier the details, the more you walk alone in hell. And it's just like, like Andrew said, like, talk about the crap going on in your life, because there are people there for you and you need to get that truck off your back. So the third to last track is kind of the title track kind of not we'll just say not the title track it's called my phoenix and here it is So this is basically an all-out rock song. I think it's the loudest song in the album, at least to me, at least that I can remember in general. I think my favorite part of this, I think, is the musical interludes that it has in this song. He just kind of is following the melody with some lot of da's, which usually would come across as 
passive more than aggressive. However, he's singing them really passionate with just piercing guitars, and I think it's really cool just how the song musically works together. But again, I really like the musical interludes of this song, both during the song and, and at the end there. It's just it's pretty awesome. So, Nate, what are your thoughts lyrically? So before I get into the lyrics, that's my favorite part too. Okay, so uh, Phoenix is not just a place where Bazan grew up, but obviously it's also a mystical animal that kind of dies and is reborn. And as you can imagine, there is strong double meaning on this album with the word Phoenix. And Bazan not only deals with his childhood and the lack of closure moving away from Phoenix, but he also finds he still loves Phoenix and that love is reborn through this experience that he had in Phoenix, uh, revisiting everything. And then not only that, but like we said, uh, the band Page of the Lion is reborn. And there's just so much cool imagery with this word. And I encourage you to unpack that yourself and just dive into that more deeply. The second last track is All Seeing Eye. thoughts on all seeing eye yeah this is really unique i think it's maybe the most experimental song on the album i would say the guitar tone and effects that are used just a lot with it but it's all like really weird and really shimmery but not like not a bright or a dark it's just like kind of mid-rangey it's really weird and that's about the best way i could describe it and it's also kind of my reaction to it is it's really weird but I do enjoy it I always enjoy experimental things I enjoy things that sound different it's almost also treated as like a last interlude if you count piano bench as kind of an interlude I feel like this is like that it's a little longer there's a little bit more to it but it's just kind of a progression with this album Definitely shorter as well, but I also think it leads really well into the last song. So, Nate, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely a perfect second-to-last song right before the closer. So the first verse actually sounds like Samuel in the Bible, where God wakes him up in the morning and Samuel says, Here I am to Eli, thinking Eli was the one calling him when it was really God. He also references the desert and the promised land, which is interesting with the biblical desert, promised land, also desert of Phoenix. And then he references the all-seeing eye, which in America, like there's our perspective on that. It's supposedly an old Christian symbol, though, of God's providence. And I think what he's saying throughout the song is that when he was young, he was open to what he felt like God's call was or something of that manner. Either that or someone ruined the promised land, which he says in the third verse. But at the end of the day, he questions why God led him from his home, which is interesting in contrast to Yellow Bike, where he said, hey, I'm willing to give up my kingdom for someone to ride with. And it's just like a very, it's like almost on the opposite spectrum. But I do wonder if through the loss of Bazan's faith, he feels like 
he was led away from his home, but God was not there to ride along with him. And he gave up his kingdom or his promised land for nothing at the end of the day and remained lonely. Now he's not only lonely, but he lacks the security that he had at home and at Phoenix. So this is our last track, The Closer, Leaving the Valley. the home stretch what are your thoughts i think this is really it's a really cool song it's a really cool way of ending the album by this point i mean we're at track 13 there's been a lot there in a lot of ways this starts to summarize the album it kind of sums up some of his emotions and his thoughts and gives us just a really good place to land this entire album i think i enjoy the different callbacks there's a callback to model homes which was one of our earlier tracks And there is a callback to Circle K, which I mentioned. There's an address in this song, and it looked like it's an address for Circle K. I'm assuming that's the Circle K that he would have been referencing also in the song Circle K. And so I think it's cool that he kind of sums up with a couple more callbacks, summing up this concept with everything. I like that it seems like... He's basically riding in a car, kind of as the song's progressing, driving away from Phoenix. And it seems like maybe when he hits a certain point, there's a time that the entire song just changes about halfway through, which I think that's probably just a pretty common way of ending albums because a lot of the albums we've been doing have been doing similar things. But it's just cool. like It changes towards the end, and it's just a final time of kind of remembering his childhood and trying to sum up those thoughts and emotions. So, Nate, what were your thoughts? So, yeah, this song talks about Bazan and his family leaving Phoenix, like Andrew said. And Bazan sings in the chorus, how will you know when you're finally home? And I think that's one of the main questions that linger from this album. You know that phrase, like, home is not a place, but it's the people you love or whatever, something like that. I think after going back to Phoenix and writing this whole record, Bazan would simultaneously agree and disagree with that statement. I think he looks back at a place where he was so lonely and yet he misses it so deeply and feels that there's this hole in his life because it's no longer there. And this home where his parents felt so eager to leave was actually the one place looking back where he wanted to stay. So this is our album rating section where we give a brief summary of our overall thoughts and then give you our ratings out of 10 on five different categories. We combine those scores and give you a total score out of 10 that Andrew and I have both created together. So yeah, so my summary is basically concept albums are awesome in general. They're just the best type of album if you can make something that's very cohesive, both in thought and music. I think that's really cool. I think... The lyrics are the standout winner with everything, especially when it comes to concept albums in general. Lyrics stand out, but I think just the way that he's writing the honesty, metaphors that he uses, his childhood, faith, it seems like he's also using a lot of different references to, as you were pointing out, to old songs and just to other things in general. That's very thought through. 
I think the music changes up a bit throughout the album while never making any major changes. That does help the album feel cohesive, but it also could make people feel like they didn't push the music enough or that it didn't have enough kind of different changes throughout that. I would argue that they're wrong. However, I could see that as an argument against the album, but I think in general, it's a really, really strong album. My final thought is I think there's there's kind of an allegory that I kind of realized throughout this album, which is the way that Bazan is speaking about Phoenix in general and his childhood and just all of those emotions. I'm kind of wondering, and I don't know, maybe we'll have to ask him sometime, but just if it's kind of a metaphor as well for childhood and his faith, I think in a lot of ways that some of the same ways that he's looking at he left Phoenix and what he was leaving behind. I think it's similar to his childhood and and just leaving his faith behind and realizing he doesn't need that. But the only argument against that would be that maybe he's not regretting that decision where throughout this album it seems like he's sad to have left Phoenix. So it'll be interesting if he's also sad that he left his faith behind, if there's ever questions about that or not. And so it would be interesting if if this kind of was a metaphor as well, that Phoenix is a metaphor for his faith. Yeah, it just was an interesting thought that I'd had. So, yeah, but that's my final thoughts with the album. How about you, Nate? Yeah, so I think I was really nervous for this album because I loved Blanco. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. And when I heard he was bringing back Page of the Lion, I was nervous because I almost view Bazan exclusively through that more electronic synth-led type music now and completely changing styles kind of made me nervous though it was obviously originally his bread and butter but i think this album went basically as good as it could have gone of course it could have been better we're not going to give it a perfect 10 out of 10 but overall i mean if you're a page of the lion fan or a bazan fan you have to be happy about this album i mean you don't actually have to be happy you cannot like it but i don't understand if you why you would not like this it's just such a great album so consistent and honestly bazan's staple i mean obviously he has a lot of different staples but his lyrics are obviously important but even just like his voice is so comforting and so nostalgic for so many different people and i feel like when his voice is in music like it's always a good thing so whether he's doing bazan stuff or doing page of the lion stuff as long as he has a voice like i feel like people are going to be there listening and love to hear his stuff so i'm just so happy for this i can't wait to see what other albums he makes after this with page of the lion and i'm just so stoked so we're on to our ratings now there's five categories instrumentation vocals lyrics journey which is basically the flow consistency and length of the album and then lastly we have the package which is the production and the album artwork maybe song titles or album titles just like the overall how is it delivered all right andrew so instrumentation what's your score yeah i gave this an 8.5 only reason i couldn't go higher even though that is a very high score is maybe just some of the thoughts throughout the album like sometimes the synths that were used again i do think that's referencing david bazan and the music that he's making now 
but they do feel like they're they're a little weird on the album. However, I appreciate that they're kind of trying to change things up. I think a lot of the songs, they do sound different when you're hearing them together. It has a very similar feel throughout the whole album, though. It, they maybe could have changed it up a little bit more to get it to a 10 out of 10. Also, when you have less instruments that you're putting in each song, it sometimes... You don't have as many moving parts to have to work through with the instrumentation to make it kind of a 10 out of 10. Like, wow, I can't believe that they had 30 instruments and they all sounded incredible or something. I'm not dinging it for that. Again, 8.5 is really solid. And I think the instruments seem to work well together. Again, talking about times that like the guitars were out front or the bass or the drums or or his vocals throughout. I think it's just really, really good. So what what's your score, Nate? So I gave instrumentation a nine. I think it's a very solid album from the instrumental point. And I think he does a great job of creating a bazan flavored atmosphere with the music. Some of my favorites are tracks like Model Homes, Quietest Friend, and Black Canyon and My Phoenix. I mean, I'm sure I could list pretty much every other song, but those are some of the standout tracks for me from an instrumental point. Okay, vocals. What's what's your thoughts on the vocals? So I gave it a seven. I will say just personally, I did not like David Bazan's voice when I started. Again, I am new to this, so again, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this because there's people who are more used to his voice, and I think if you're used to his voice, it's really good. It has grown on me a ton. Honestly, when we started, I thought I was going to basically have to just be like, oh, I wish he didn't sing. Like I thought it was going to be that bad, but it's grown on me a lot. It does really work well here. But first few times, maybe not first few, but at least the first time through the album, I had to like push myself to not pay attention to not liking his voice and just listen for the melodies or or the instruments itself. But again, his voice has grown on me. I like it now. But to me, it's just not as strong as the rest of the parts. That's just me personally. So yeah, it's a seven out of 10. What did you think, Nate? Okay, so we're going to disagree. That's fine. Although, not really, because I feel like his voice had to grow on me when I first got into Blanco. But I give the vocals a 9.5. I think his voice, again, is a staple. It's so precious. (laughs) And uh, I think the melodies he sings are such a strong aspect of their music. And yeah, I love them. Okay, lyrics. This is a first for me. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. And it's crazy because I really let you touch on the lyrics here a lot. I had a lot of thoughts written down, but by the time we were talking about going into it, I knew you were going to cover it better than I was. So if it didn't show in our album review portion, I love these lyrics. I think every lyric is really thought through. Again, there's plenty of metaphor, references, stories, poetic sentences, or whatever it is. It works so well. And... I literally don't know how he could have written better lyrics. Like, they're just perfect to me. I love that he's really honest throughout this. It doesn't feel like he's just, like, talking about his life in, like, a unrealistic, like, oh, my life was awesome. Or also super negative, like, oh, my life was terrible. It was just basically, like, this is what my life was growing up. This was my childhood. These are some lessons that I've learned. These are still some things that I'm hoping to grow in and learn and all of that. I think it's just super honest. And I think I can take a lot from his lyrics and just the honest nature of his lyrics. So I think 
the album's written perfectly. I wrote down it's like a lyrical manifesto. Like, I literally think it's just like, if you were to write an album lyrically and then die, this would be the type of album that you'd want to write. (laughs) It's just like your best work. Now, I don't know enough of Bazan's other lyrics to know if this is even considered his best album lyrically. But it's the only album I know from him, and it's 10 out of 10. So if there's other albums that are better, then they just be like 11 out of 10. So don't don't at me. What do you think, Nate? <laughs> so I gave the lyrics a 9.5. Easily could have gave it a 10. The only reason I didn't give it a 10 was basically I haven't given anything a 10 yet. And strangely enough, I'm almost penalizing Bazan because I know he could really come out with his next album and write even better. I love the narrative style with most of these lyrics and how personal and in-depth they are and the subtle or even not so subtle deep meanings underneath pretty much every song and they're just great. So a 9.5, 10, whatever, they're nearly perfect. They're awesome. Okay, Journey, what are your thoughts? So I gave that a 9.5. I think in general, when you're writing a concept album, when you're writing about either a time in your life or or a, a specific story or theme in general, if you mess up the flow, consistency, or length, you suck. Like, that's literally, like, one of the most important things when you're writing a concept album, and he nails it. So, again, 9.5 is my score for this because I think concept albums in general, they're all about the flow, and each song has to be written with this category almost in mind even though they didn't know we were reviewing this just thinking of like how does the album flow there's a lot of consistency throughout the lyrics throughout the approach to the lyrics throughout the musical approach and the length that 13 songs we can talk about songs like we did with Lainey Lainey had nine and it was kind of a concept album this has 13 and it's a concept album it is hard for me to actually say that a concept album has too many or too few songs. Because my thought is, however many songs you need to get your concept across, that's however many songs should be on the album. Like, don't add unnecessary songs, and don't cut out any necessary portions of the album. So, 13, 9 songs, no matter how many songs there was, it's one concept, and it comes across great. So what were your thoughts, Nate? So I give it a nine and pretty much for all of the same reasons you did. think it's a great concept album and yeah, I think it's awesome. All right. Lastly, we have Package. So I gave that an 8.5. I think the album artwork is really unique. I think it works really well because every time I picture this album now, I do picture this artwork and I know in general that's how it should work. But that's not, unfortunately, how it works every time. Sometimes there's just forgettable artwork or something. But this is like, it's not too much. It's not too little. It has a unique look. Kind of still fits Pedro the Lion's general artwork style that they've had in the past, which is kind of cool. And I think it just works really well together for the album artwork. The mixing and overall production is really solid. It's really good. Everything seems to work together without kind of fighting against anything. It's not like I ever felt like the the lyrics were being covered up by too heavy of guitars or anything like that. Like everything works well together. Everything's mixed well together. And I think the whole production was really good. How about you, Nate? Yeah, I give it an 8.5 as well. I thought the production was great. I like the album cover. Don't love it. 
but I think it's actually really creative. I do like it from that point of view, but just from my eyes itself, I think it's it's okay. But the production is amazing, and yeah, I think it's really great production. I think from what I heard, they didn't add a lot of little unique subtleties. It was very straightforward, but with that, they made it very clean and did a very good job. All right. So basically adding our scores, I gave it a overall 45.5 and Andrew gave it a 43.5. And if you add those up, we get 89 flat out of 100, which we will bring down to a 8.9 out of 10 just to simplify things. And yeah, that's definitely one of the highest albums we've rated so far behind Kevin Crowder's Toss Up, which we gave a 9.0 and S. Carey's 100 Acres, which we gave a 9.3. I wonder when we'll top that. Not not today, but this was a great album and definitely one of our favorites of the podcast so far. Welcome to our encore. This is the section that we just talk about our final thoughts of the episode. So we're going to give a couple plugs here. We've had a lot of people asking about the instrumental music throughout the podcast, and that is by a guy named Josh Leininger. He's a good friend of ours, makes some really cool indie and instrumental music. So check him out. He's got some really cool stuff anywhere that you can find music. He's got it. So again, Josh Leininger. Check him out. He's awesome. You can check out our Twitter as well. You can follow us there. We have polls set up so you can vote for Spam or Jam. You can let us know your top three, in this case, top three rebound albums or any top threes we have. Your thoughts about the album in general. Twitter is just a really good place, a really good platform for there to be a lot of that back and forth communication. Let us know what we did right. Let us know what we did wrong. Blast us on the internet if you have to, but also be nice about it because Twitter is is already a sad place so don't make it more sad also you can follow us on instagram we use that occasionally no we use it all the time so definitely check out instagram so you don't miss any of our other episodes that we are promoting follow us there you can like our pictures find our stories and even find our personal instagrams you can also email us we have had very little interaction from emails which is exactly what we expected However, that doesn't mean we don't have an email, so we do. And so our email is listening at gmail.com, and our Twitter and our Instagram are both under the handles at LDLpod. So go ahead and check us out there, email us, all that fun stuff there as well. All right, I'm going to give my final thought, and then I'm going to send it to Nate for his. So my final thought, I I do actually have a joke. Now, this is Nate's territory. I'm stepping on it a little bit. Usually, I give a very serious final thought, just life lessons or whatever. But I actually have a joke, and it's in honor of the album Phoenix. But I need a little bit of help from you, Nate, similar to how you had me do a knock-knock joke a couple weeks back where you made me do all the work. I'm going to make you do all the work this time. So here's how it works. I'm talking about how hot it is in Phoenix because I want to talk about stereotypes and also facts. I'm going to talk about how hot it is. So I'm going to say it's so hot in Phoenix. 
and Nate's going to say, how hot is it? Is that all right, Nate? You got that? Yeah. And then I'll tell you how hot it is. Now, I've got two jokes that I couldn't decide between, and I just say we do them both. Is that cool? Okay, let's get it. Okay, so it's so hot in Phoenix. How hot is it? It's so hot that the birds have to use potholders to pull worms out of the ground. It's a thinker. Honestly, both of these are really terrible because I Googled jokes about Phoenix and these are what came up. So don't judge me. All right. We're going to try the second one. Do you get it, Nate? I don't know what a potholder is. A potholder? <laughs> uh, let's just say gloves. It's basically like an oven glove. Right. Oh, right. OK. Yeah. I do know those it's part. a thinker and probably outdated because that does sound like something that your grandma would say, like, hey, pass the potholders or something. I don't know. But OK, let's let's, let's try the this second next one. one's better. Let's hope it's better. It's also a thinker for sure. Okay. So, Nate, it's so hot in Phoenix. How hot is it? It's so hot that farmers are feeding their chickens crushed ice to keep them from laying hard boiled eggs. Didn't that is such a long thing to read. Like, your punchline should never be that long. So I picked these jokes. It's my fault. I subjected you all to these jokes. But also, they're like... Stay around. Mine's better. They're seriously the worst jokes. So Nate's going to give us his final thought. Nate, what's your final thought? All right, real quick. I do have a question for you. This is a joke. How do you spell Leininger? Because I have no idea. That's a great question. I think I spelled it before, and I'm going to spell it again. And I probably should every time because it is an interesting last name. So it is spelled L-E-I-N-I-N-G-E-R. Sweet. Thank you. Much appreciation. You should type that in. Thanks. not that great at spelling. No, that's perfect. Thanks, Nate. All right. Final thought. I what did one plate say to the other plate? What? Dinner's on me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's my favorite thing about plates is they're so nice. They are. They're just very generous very with nice. their finances. Man. Well, okay. <laughs> that was excellent. Here's this for segues. Thanks for listening to this episode, everybody. (laughs) We are really glad that you joined us for this episode. It's been fun. We enjoyed having you. Definitely subscribe so you don't miss all of our other episodes that we will be coming out with. Also, you can check out any of our past episodes. If there's bands that you already like, you should check those out. If there's bands that you don't know, you should also check them out so you can learn new music. That's what this podcast is about. It's about talking about music that uh, no one or very few people are talking about. It's more indie and just under the radar. So check it out. And thanks for coming. Have a good rest of your day. Next podcast, we'll be interviewing the band My Epic and talking about their album Violence. Please follow my Finsta account.